spent months interviewing dozens of nonprofit executives, and everybody's two biggest problems were fundraising and finding qualified staff. I created the Fundraising Accelerator for you. If you are an accidental fundraiser, like most nonprofit executives, you're probably learning on the job. Wouldn't it be nice for you to shortcut years of trial and error and start to get big, unrestricted gifts from individuals in sooner? Or maybe you're an executive director looking for a development director and not finding anyone who's qualified enough. I can help you train up your talent to help them start getting money in the door now. If this sounds like something I can help you with, check out my fundraising accelerator program at riawong.com. Applications are open now through February 17th. Spots are limited to 20, so apply today. Welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, I'm super excited because we are going to talk about a hot, hot topic, DAFs and crypto with Alexis Miller, who is the Donor Engagement and Strategic Partnerships Lead at Endowment. Alexis, we have so many questions, so welcome to the show. Thanks, Rhea. Thanks for having me. So before we jump into all the questions that we have, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. I oversee partnerships and donor engagement at Endowment, and my journey has led me in a variety of different directions, but my background is in the nonprofit space. So as cliche as it is, I, I grew up always wanting to be in the helping profession, and throughout high school and throughout college, I was really gearing my career toward being a social worker. I really was interested in being a school social worker. And one thing led to another, and I ended up getting my master's in social work, but really focused on the macro aspects of social work, meaning nonprofit management and the administration of how nonprofits are run, how they can be run in a more efficient way to still make a large impact. So I started out my career working in the Jewish Federation system in development and fundraising. I was there for four years overseeing a lot of our professional groups. So I worked with our lawyers and our doctors and our professional women and really just served as that entry point into the Jewish community through events and fundraising opportunities. Through that opportunity, I really knew nothing about fundraising when I first started, but I met somebody and they said, you'd be great at development, like just try it out. So I did. And through my time in the Jewish community, I really learned about DAFs. And it wasn't something that was in my direct portfolio, but a lot of the donors I was working with had donor advised funds at the Jewish Federation or at other entities. And I really took it upon myself to learn more about the DAF space, which then led me to taking a role at the Baltimore Community Foundation overseeing our donor advised fund program. I just found DAFs to be, and happy to like go into more details about what DAFs are and the benefits, but I just found them to be a really interesting giving vehicle and they were underutilized in my opinion. So. I moved to the Baltimore Community Foundation and was serving as a philanthropic advisor, helping people to strategize how to give away money. So instead of being on the development side where I was raising the funds, I took a, took a break from that and really just wanted to help people make an impact and think through the questions of where do I want to give and how can I leave a legacy and involve my kids? So through that, I was the token young person on the team. So they said, okay, you can work to engage the next generation. And what I soon realized was that the next generation, people in their 20s and 30s, 
didn't want to engage in philanthropy in the same way that their parents and their grandparents generation did. And through that, we didn't really have like specific opportunities per se at the community foundation. I was looking to really shift my career and be somewhere at a startup at a forward thinking company. I had been at two legacy organizations, which were amazing and did incredible work, but I really wanted to try something new for myself. I knew nothing about crypto eight months ago and joined the endowment team as basically the, the middle person between nonprofits and donors. And that's what led me here today. Okay, Alexis, there's so much to unpack. So before we get into crypto, because that's a whole other thing, I want to talk about DAFs because I feel like that is, it's a black box. So for those of us who don't know about DAFs, can you say a little bit about what are DAFs and how do people use them to help nonprofits? Sure. So a donor advised fund, I think of as a charitable checking account. So an individual or a family or a group of people can open up a donor advised fund at either a financial institution, Schwab, Fidelity, Morgan Stanley, most of your big financial institutions offer DAFs, as well as community foundations, Jewish federations, endowment. And really, it's a way to streamline your giving. So think of the donor who gives to, let's say, 20 to 25 nonprofits a year. They are managing all of the receiving on their own. They're getting 20 different receipts from nonprofits. They're worrying about 20 different fiscal years and end of year deadlines. And a DAF is really a way where you get one receipt when you donate to your donor advised fund, and it allows you the flexibility to decide on what nonprofits you want to support. So there's, again, happy to go into like the heat and the controversy around DAFs and payouts, but really what they're used for is a way to to streamline one's giving. It's a great way to involve a a spouse, kids, and your philanthropy as well. And it's a great alternative to starting a private foundation, which can be really expensive. You have to have your own board of directors. You have a specific amount you need to pay out with the DAF. It's really just that charitable checking account. And there's some IRS rules about how to use the DAF and what you can use it for and what you can't use it for. But as a rule of thumb, I think of it as a much more flexible and cost-effective option versus setting up a private foundation. So let's talk about DAFs for a second, because I think the number one thing I hear from nonprofit folks is it's a total. there's not a lot of transparency as far as how to access it, who has one, who doesn't have one, and it, who do you talk to? Because often we will receive letters back that says, Fidelity donated this money, and it's like anonymous money. So... Can you talk a little bit about, is there any way for a nonprofit to say prospect or cultivate or be a bit more intentional versus having random checks to show up? Yeah, I think it's hard with some of the larger entities, right? You mentioned a Schwab or a Fidelity, like they have a thousand person team who may be managing this. My recommendation to nonprofits, just being on the other side of things is work with your local community foundation. If you are somebody, I'll just use Baltimore as an example, since that's where I worked. We had nonprofits in Baltimore who were contacting us, trying to get in front of our team to showcase the work that they were doing so that if a donor comes along, you can make that match. And community foundations also have grants programs and there are other ways, each one differs, but there are other ways to get involved and get your nonprofit's name out there. So I would say first and foremost, start with your local community foundation, or if you're a national nonprofit, identify a few communities where you work and 
just reach out to their donor services team or their development team and just try to set up a meeting. I think that that is a really great entry point and starting point. If if your organization is faith-based, as an example, I, I mentioned the Jewish Federation system, reach out to your Jewish Federation or Catholic Charities if they offer some sort of DAF and just do your research. But I would say that starting local is always the best. You are much more likely to get in touch with someone versus emailing a Schwab or a Fidelity, not saying it's not possible. But I think that creating those one-on-one relationships with a donor officer could be really helpful to your nonprofit. And so as a philanthropic advisor, correct me if I'm wrong, you were you were the middle person between the nonprofits and the donors and really matching people up with their interests. Is that right? Yeah. So were you constantly on the lookout for nonprofits or like how were you able to get new nonprofits? Yeah, for sure. I mean, part of it was nonprofits reaching out to us, right? And just taking a meeting with them and learning more about them. And and the majority of my role was really understanding what the donor is looking for. The donor might come to us and already know what nonprofits they're supporting. And most likely, if somebody has a donor advised fund at a community foundation or in a local community, they're using it to support that local community, right? I mean, that is just the nature of having something in your community. You're really focused on your fee from your donor advice fund is actually going to support grant making in your local community. So I was really on the, I was on the donor side trying to understand what their needs were. And then in the back of my mind, having one pages from nonprofits and having meetings with nonprofits to really understand their mission. And then when a donor comes to you and says, Hey, I really want to support the environment in California. You can really make that match and make a connection if they're interested. Perfect. All right. One last question on DAFs before we jump into crypto, which I know everyone wants to hear about. Let's talk about the controversy of DAFs and payouts. Can you give us a little sense of what the controversy is and your thoughts on it? Sure. So there are a lot of articles written about donor advised funds being a way to park money. So as I mentioned earlier, a donor gets the tax deduction when they donate into their donor advised fund, not when they're making grants out to a benefiting nonprofit. And again, that's an IRS regulation where you get the tax deduction to that DAF. But I would say it depends on the entity in terms of the amount that you have to pay out. So when I was at the Baltimore Community Foundation, we had a five-year inactive fund policy. So at least once every five years, you had to make a grant or you had to make another donation into your DAF. Now, at endowments, we have a two-year inactive fund policy. So you have to be taking action at least once every two years. Another controversy that we at endowment are really trying to change the narrative on is, and like happy to go into details about how our DAF functions and how it differentiates from other DAFs. But as a rule of thumb, most donor advised fund providers are taking a fee based on assets under management. So a large institution like Fidelity or Schwab, we keep using them as examples, but they're good examples because they have very large DAFs there and they're taking a fee based on the assets that they're managing, right? So the more money that's in that DAF, the higher fee they get. So at endowment, what we do is we don't take a fee based on assets under management. Instead, we take a one and a half percent transaction fee. So we we don't care how much money is in the actual DAF. And actually the way that our fee structure works 
is it's 0.5% when it comes into the donor advised fund, and it's 1% when it goes out to the benefiting nonprofit. So we're financially incentivizing ourselves by taking a larger fee when money is flowing out of our bank account and into the hands of a nonprofit. And that was really important to our CEO, Robbie Heeger, when he started endowment, that we changed the narrative of traditional philanthropy and of traditional donor advised funds, making these accessible. We don't have a minimum donation size. So somebody could open up a DAF with $500 versus some entities, it's $10,000 minimum and $100,000 minimum. And with us, there's no minimum. Our fee structure differs from traditional DAFs. And we're really weighted on the throughput, making sure that money is getting into the hands of nonprofits, which is what a DAF is supposed to do. Okay. We're jumping in here. So for those who are new to crypto, can you, like, let's go with the basics. First of all, what is a DAO? Because for those who know about crypto, DAO is a thing, and the name of your company is very clever, Endowment. But what is a DAO for those of us who don't know? Sure. So a DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And basically, the way that I think about it, again, me being someone who comes from the nonprofit world, I always think in nonprofit terms. So a traditional nonprofit is run very top down, right? You have your CEO or your executive director, then you have your C-suite, then you have your directors, et cetera. It's a triangle. Basically, the idea with a DAO is that the governance is not top down. It's democratic. So people are making decisions together. Your CEO is not dictating every decision that is occurring for the organization or for the company, it's a democratic process. That could look like voting, that could look like using a token powered governance structure. Um, my, our CEO, we just did a, a nonprofit call last week to talk about the current state of crypto philanthropy and all the craziness going on. And he described DAOs similar to giving circles, which I thought was an amazing comparison because a giving circle, everybody is giving the same amount. Everyone's pooling together $100 and collectively they're deciding on where the money goes. So I think of a DAO as the same concept. And actually at endowment, we have some DAOs who set up philanthropic funds and use their DAO to vote on what nonprofits they're supporting. So it's this DAO concept and it's this giving circle concept combined in one. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about endowment. So from my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is you have donors who are putting crypto. So for those who are new to crypto, that means Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then like all the other altcoins out there into a fund. And then how how does the match process work between the crypto in and then the donations out? Sure. So the bread and butter of what we do is our donor advice fund, which is why we kept talking about DAFs. We also do direct donations. So somebody can give us one Bitcoin as an example, not open up a donor advised fund with us and just give it to any nonprofit. And the process is we ingest the crypto we take a thousand different types of cryptocurrencies. So you mentioned a few, but really anything that there's a liquid market for, we take, we convert it into, it's called a stable coin, US dollar <laughs> coin, and it's pegged to the dollar. So we're not holding it as Bitcoin or Ethereum, et cetera, because there's a lot of market fluctuations associated with that, as I'm sure you've all seen. And just like the stock market, we're not holding Apple shares as an example, we're converting it into, a cryptocurrency that's pegged to the US dollar. 
And then it's being granted out to a nonprofit as U.S. dollars. So we're actually doing the work of converting it from crypto into U.S. dollars and then sending it directly to a nonprofit's bank account. And how do nonprofits receive funds? Like, how do people know about them? Can you talk us through this process? Is it very similar to what you discussed with DAFs? Because I also know, having visited the site, that you've basically registered all of the nonprofits in the country on your platform. Yeah. So any nonprofit that's in good standing is technically already on endowment. We integrate with GuideStars data. So we're pulling information from a nonprofit's 990, their mission statement, their logo, and they're already listed on our site, but somebody has to actually, it's called claiming their organization by providing us that bank account information. So we know where to send the money to. So a nonprofit, we say that any nonprofit can receive crypto through endowment, which is true, but we have to talk to somebody at that nonprofit and get them signed up in order to get money out the door. And it's not, crypto is a little bit of the wild, wild west, but like we, we're not just sending money anywhere. Like we have to contact the nonprofit and the flow is really somebody connects their crypto wallet to our platform. They make a donation that triggers an email to the nonprofit saying, hey, somebody's trying to make a donation. It'll have any donor information that the donor chooses to pass along. It'll have the amount. If there's a grant purpose or any special instructions, like they want it to support X program at your organization, that'll all be in an email. And we either get them claimed, so get them onboarded, get their bank info, or if they're already onboarded with us, we just send that grant to the nonprofit within 24 to 48 hours. So for a nonprofit to receive money from endowment, do they have to have a, an existing relationship with the donor or can the platform be used for as a discovery? Both. We have some donors, good question. We have some donors who know exactly where they want to support. They're supporting organizations that let's say they give to annually. We also have donors who you have to remember a lot of people in the crypto space have made a lot of money in a very short amount of time. And a lot of the donors we work with have never been philanthropic previously, or they'll say, we've never been able to give more than $500 to a nonprofit. And now we're giving $50,000 or $500,000 if we're lucky. So some of it is you're completely new and they might do research on their own. They might have a friend who's involved in a nonprofit and they decide to make a grant. And on average, our donor base skews younger under the age of 45. And people are not engaging with nonprofits the same way that their parents' generation did. So we have donors who make large donations without ever contacting the nonprofit, without having a development professional telling you what's going on at the organization or giving you a report, right? Something that previous generations of philanthropists are really into is like reporting and impact reports and having the nonprofit like put together. I'm sure those of you who work at nonprofits, you probably put together some sort of like five to 10 page document outlining how you're using the money. And our donors don't ask for that for the most part. And I think just the way that this next generation is thinking about philanthropy is really a trust-based approach. We're going to give you $10,000. We're going to trust that you're using that to its fullest capacity at the organization, we don't need to see a report on exactly how you use every cent. And that's just a, I think a little bit of a generational and mindset shift compared to previous generations. 
Yeah, that's such an interesting point. Let's go there because I think last week we had Adam Michael Royston on who does West Coast fundraising. And what we're learning is that the traditional donor journey of prospecting, cultivation, solicitation, stewardship is about the window. So he was talking about how he's able to turn over a major gift in zero to three months, which is really different than the traditional sort of six to nine months. So talk Mm -hmm. to me a little bit about other things that you've noticed about crypto donors in particular versus our traditional model of donor? Yeah, I think they they skew younger. I, I'm going to put in the chat, actually, if that's helpful, our 2021 impact report. So folks on the call can get a sense of who our donor base is. We have some statistics from 2021 that were really helpful. Skewing younger, our donor tends to be majority male, but we have a lot of females and we also have a lot of NFT artists, which is something happy to share non-fungible tokens. It's basically like the digital art, which some people, it was very hard for me to wrap my mind around what it is, but we have a lot of artists who work with us who donate a portion of their NFT sales to endowments or to a nonprofit through endowments. And Again, that demographic, they're using their community to decide on what nonprofits to support for the most part. So I would say crypto donors tend to be younger. They tend to be a little bit more like hands off with the nonprofit, just trusting that they're going to do what they say they're doing, like support their mission and they're using the funds in the wisest way possible. And crypto donors are, for the most part, pretty tech savvy. So our entire platform. You could go from start to finish, setting up a DAF, funding the DAF, and making a grant without ever having to talk to a staff person. It's set up that way so that people can just do it on their own time. At the Community Foundation, we had to have an onboarding conversation with a donor. We sent them an emailed PDF to sign off on, and then we went back and forth, and it was just a, a longer process, whereas from start to finish, a donor can go to our site two minutes later can make a donation to the nonprofit of their choice. And then within 24 to 48 hours, we're getting the money into the hands of the nonprofit. Okay. So I'm going to ask the elephant in the room question. So right now it is December 15, 2022, and Sam Bankman-Fried has been arrested in the Bahamas. We've seen the implosion of other platforms, crypto.com, FTX. How has it impacted the donor crypto base? Yeah, it's a good question. Definitely the elephant in the room. We just, as I mentioned earlier, we did a, a nonprofit talk last week just to share with our nonprofits what's going on and ask answer any questions that they had. And what I'll say is markets fluctuate, right? We see the stock market going up and down. Crypto is going up and down. It's the world that we live in. Is crypto a little bit more risky than the stock market? Sure. But what we're seeing I think everything that happened with Sam Bigman Freed, he was somebody who really embraced philanthropy. He made multi, multi million dollar pledges to nonprofits. And he was somebody who appeared to be charitably minded. And one thing that we're talking a lot about internally is pledges are great, but for this type of reason, money in the door is what really matters, right? You have to be able to support these nonprofits imminently to support whatever their needs are currently. It's great to plan. Multi-year commitments for nonprofits are great because that's a pledge, but it's also money in the door at this moment. 
And I think that that is something that has come out from all of this is the inability, like pledges are, again, pledges are great for nonprofits, but when something like this occurs, all of these nonprofits were counting on these multi-millions of dollars to hit their bank account next year or in 2024. And it's really hard for these nonprofits now to shift and figure out a fundraising strategy moving forward. Another point that I'll just say to kind of talk about what happened with FTX and compare it with endowment, FTX was a centralized exchange. So similar to a bank, let's just say, where somebody can put in US dollars and get out crypto, or somebody can put in crypto, Ethereum and get out Dogecoin, right? They can switch different cryptocurrencies in FTX. And it's centralized. It operates in a similar way as a bank. At endowment, everything that we do is decentralized. So the opposite of that, and that is a value, this democratic process, this decentralization is something that's really important in the crypto space. And at endowment, we are only working with decentralized protocols for the most part. And we have a multi-step process in order for grants to be paid out. Multiple people at our organization have to basically sign off on a grant going on. And there's a whole checks and balances system that we have at endowment and that other protocols that are decentralized use because something like this is centralized and they basically take control of your funds, right? So it's like a bank, you give them your money and they do, they convert it. And they're supposed to have that in like reserves if somebody needs to take money out. But with decentralized protocols, you're holding on to your money still. And I think this idea of self-custody and being the owner of your own money is something that's really valued in the crypto space. And this was one of the big reasons that FTX collapsed was due to its centralization, in my opinion. Oh, that's such an interesting point. And as someone who holds a little bit of crypto myself, I know there's a lot of talk about getting it off platform and in your own cold wallet. Let's talk about the strategy of the crypto donor, because I think you're right. They tend to be younger. They tend to be tech savvy. They tend to be a little bit more in trust-based philanthropy, so really different than how we think about traditional philanthropists and like the, mm-hmm. you know, name on the library. The other thing is people who hold crypto really love crypto. Like it's really <laughs> like a, a culty thing. So can you think, yeah. walk us through any organizations that, you know, that have been really successful in attracting crypto donors? Great question. Yes. So we work with some incredible, our nonprofit partners really run the gamut. And I'll just point out here that endowment is free for nonprofits to get onboarded with us. So there are other crypto donation providers who might be charging nonprofits. We are completely free and we really look at our nonprofits as partners, not as clients. So we might be involved in their fundraising strategy, or they might be running an idea by us, and they're not a paid customer in the same. So in terms of some of our nonprofit partners, Outright International is an amazing organization. They have Katie on their team is incredible, and she is very involved in the crypto space. She's always on Twitter. She's joining Twitter spaces, which for those of you who don't know, they're basically like audio Zooms to a certain extent. They live on Twitter, and a lot of People in the crypto space participate in Twitter spaces. We host them at times, and it's a really great way to connect with people in 
this crazy world of crypto. So Outright International, Kaboom is another nonprofit. They work on place-based equity and they have partnered with NFT artists before for fundraisers. And they are doing a really great job in this space. There's other organizations. There's a nonprofit called Watsi that deals with healthcare in low-income areas. I think it's really important. And again, for folks in the nonprofit sector, you don't need to have someone who knows everything about crypto. You need somebody who is crypto curious, we say, right? Somebody who is interested and jumping in and learning. And whether that's spending an hour of your week on Twitter and looking up different crypto protocols or NFT projects that you can reach out to, or just connecting with other people who are like you, who work in the nonprofit space, but are also crypto curious, I think is really important. I think Sometimes I can speak for myself. I mentioned I knew nothing about crypto when I started at Endowment eight months ago. And sometimes you just have to jump in and ask questions and use social media and use resources. There's so many articles out there and there's forums to connect with other people. So I think some of it is just jump in. I'm happy to speak to any nonprofit who like doesn't know where to start and can send resources. But I think that the nonprofits that I've seen who are the most successful at crypto fundraising are those who have somebody on their team who is just jumping into the space. So what I'm hearing is that you have to be specific about fishing where there are fish, like going going into the ponds where there are fish, which is to say the yes. spaces where crypto people hang out, being on Twitter, other platforms, and actually engaging pretty regularly. Yeah, for sure. We use Discord. I don't know if anyone's familiar with it, but it's basically like Slack for the gaming crypto techie space. And we have over a thousand people in our Discord and we have a place for nonprofits to post like a one pager or an upcoming event. And most of our donors are in Discord. So if you want to get something to our donors or share some information about your nonprofit, we always tell people like hop in our Discord post something, engage with people. I think a lot of it is we don't want a nonprofit to do something that they're not comfortable with. And at the same time, crypto donors aren't reading a newsletter. Like we don't even have a newsletter at Endowment. Like we're giving updates on social media and we're really trying to meet our donors where they are. And I think it's important for nonprofits to kind of be innovative and forward thinking and, um, you meet your other donors where they are. You host events in the local community so that people don't have to drive 45 minutes. Think of this as just meeting donors where they are, which it just happens to be in a digital setting. That is such a great point. I think folks have questions coming up. So one last question for me. Can we talk about N NFTs for a second? I will be sure. very honest with you. I have a hard time wrapping my head around M NFTs. Like I, I've been given the technical explanation. <laughs> but yes. it just doesn't make sense to me, especially when we were getting, say, around last year when these pieces of art were going for, what was it, Beeple broke records that I forgot, was it $58 million or something? I forget. Anyway, the point there, is, yeah. yes. so for the newbies out there, what is an NFT and how can nonprofits use it on behalf of fundraising or raise awareness or like what, how, how might we use an NFT? Yes. Also posting another shout out to our team. We put together a crypto 101 dictionary. So like a glossary of all of these terms that we've been using, NFT, blockchain, cryptocurrency. So I just posted in the chat 
feel free to check it out. I think so much of the crypto space I learned is terminology. And once you understand the terminology, then you can move forward. But sometimes it's just getting to that base level knowledge of like, what is an NFT? So an NFT stands for non-fungible token, and it's basically a piece of digital art. And one of the areas of interest with NFTs are that there are a limited number of them, right? So if you think of Someone just told me the other day, like an Hermes bag. Okay, I'm just like using this analogy here, right? I had no idea. But with Hermes, apparently, with the Birkin bags, there's a limited number, right? So there might be a thousand in DC. You're just using this as an example. Or with an artist, maybe Monet made a thousand of one painting, right? Part of it is the exclusivity. So there's not an unlimited number of NFTs. An artist might put out a hundred different variations of their project and only a hundred people can buy it, then those hundred people can either hold on to their NFT. What they use it for, I don't know, right? Some people actually display the digital art on like a, they have these like digital picture frames that you can use. Some people just hold it on their account. Other people sell it, right? So there's a secondary market to NFTs as well. So let's say I purchase um, art from this artist and Rhea, you really liked it and you really wanted it, you can basically buy it from me. And that's where a lot of people make money on this because it's all ambiguous, right? Like whatever you're willing to pay for it, you name your price and you can purchase it from me. So I think it's definitely a niche, but the way that we work with NFT artists are People will actually code into the their it's called a smart contract. People can like code into the actual like art, if you will. Um, we want twenty percent of proceeds to go to Planned Parenthood, as an example. And programmatically, that happens. So programmatically, twenty percent of the proceeds of that NFT project go to Planned Parenthood through endowment. And people are using NFTs for good. And a lot of NFT projects are actually doing that, where they're coding in a percentage of proceeds to support a nonprofit of their choice. We also work with NFT artists. If an NFT artist wants to donate an NFT to us, we auction it off and then we get the proceeds and give it to a nonprofit. Oh, that's so interesting. All right. I, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because we could talk about this forever. But I, I want to go back to one thing that you said before we opened it up for questions from the audience. You talked sure. about the fact that a lot of folks, younger folks, have made a lot of money in a very short amount of time. And I'm curious if you've done any psychographic profiling on donors, because I know that first generation wealth creators tend to have a really different mindset and a different orientation to wealth than people who've been sort of generationally wealthy? Yeah, it's a good question. We we haven't done any sort of analysis. We really try to not, I don't want to say we don't try to survey our donors. Like we do, we try to get insights, but people are not filling out information in the same way that people were like 10 years ago. But we do do surveys. And I will just say anecdotally, we have a variety of different types of donors. We have donors who made money in a really short amount of time and now are like living a very minimal lifestyle like they were previously. And then we have other donors on the other side of the coin who are like living a more lavish lifestyle than they were previously. And you also see this at 
like crypto conferences and just like being in this space, right? There's people who are like incredibly um, humble and not showy. And then there are people on the other end of the spectrum. And I would say that in the in the non-crypto real world too, right? Like there's people who are flashy with their wealth and people who are much more humble. And I think like there's just a lot of different kinds of people. So I would I would say the same thing with crypto donors. We we don't have any statistics on it, but I really do think again, this is anecdotally, there's no data to back this up. The conversations that I have with donors, people really just want to give back. They feel so fortunate that they've made this money and they really want to give back to their local community. And we hear that time and time again. People will say like, I had no idea that my NFT was going to be worth millions of dollars. And they were just doing this as a side project, right? That This happens all the time where somebody just created something because they were curious about the space or a friend taught them and people really like the art and they are now worth millions. And it's just a, a crazy world. I will also say that a lot of our donors are people who have been in this space for a while. So people who got involved in 2015, 2016, 2017, for the most part, those are the folks who have appreciated crypto assets. And as we know, the market are going up and down. So somebody who got into the space four months ago, they're welcome to donate on endowment. They probably don't have appreciated crypto assets in the same way as somebody who has been in the space for four years, as an example. Right. And in the crypto space, four years is basically a millennium. Yeah. And things so, change. Like yeah. the technology changes. Things are changing rapidly. Things are changing every day. And I think not to toot our own horn, but I will, like projects like endowment are here to stay, right? We've seen companies that have opened up and closed. And really, I think what's going to be left in the crypto space in the next year, the next two years, are these social good projects and these projects that are giving back and these projects that are led by incredible individuals. And I don't think that crypto is going anywhere and companies might open and close, but the ones who are still in it and are still building and are creating new technology and new ways of doing things are the ones that are going to be around. How do you think uh, stronger government regulation might change crypto in particular might change the crypto donation space? Because I think it is the Wild West. It's not really regulated I know a lot of crypto enthusiasts are actually looking forward to more government regulation as a legitimizing seal of approval, if you will. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, again, speaking personally, I agree. I think it's good to not be the wild, wild west, right? I think that it's good to have some regulation. And I think the most important part is making sure that the people who are putting together regulations are people who understand the crypto space. I think a lot of people make assumptions and it's really important for people to be educated, but I 100% agree there needs to be some sort of regulations because people are losing, things are happening and there's a lot of privacy and security related issues with the crypto space. So I'm, I'm all for increased regulations. In terms of a charitable crypto donation component, Right now, I always say, like, I'm not a CPA, this is not financial advice, but right now, crypto is taxed the same way as stock is. So if somebody gives appreciated crypto assets, similar to appreciated stock, you can mitigate your capital gains taxes and get a tax deduction. So it's actually 
tax advantageous for somebody to donate appreciated crypto similar to appreciated stock, right? Versus a check or a credit card, right? They can mitigate their 22% capital gains taxes or whatever the percentage is for that person. So I'm all for it. I would hope that they don't change the benefits of donating crypto, right? And work at this interesting intersection because there's DAF regulations and DAF policy, and then there's crypto regulations and crypto policy. And while we're a 501c3 and there's only so much that we can do, we're not a C4 organization, we are here for regulations and policy that makes good sense for endowment and for the future of DAFs and philanthropy and cryptocurrency and donating crypto. Good answer, Alexis. Okay. I have a question coming in from Carlos, who seems to be very familiar with Thanks, Alexis. Great to be here. Hi. So actually, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I don't think we've had a chance to chat about this, and you mentioned giving circles during what you were saying. And I've been very curious because I see the overlap between giving circles and the idea of DAFs and crypto DAFs. Have you worked with giving circles? And how, how would a giving circle get involved in a crypto DAF? And would that be a good marriage in your opinion? Yeah. It's a good question. So we haven't specifically worked with like a traditional giving circle, but we have worked with folks who, let's say they have a group of friends who have crypto and they all want to pull it together and donate. We have something called community funds on endowment, which are basically like public donor advised funds. So again, I keep mentioning NFT artists, but like an NFT artist might open a community fund they might look to their community to donate into it as well. So I could see our community funds being a really great option for giving circles. I will say I'm not familiar with many crypto giving circles. If they exist, if somebody on this call is listening and knows of a crypto giving circle, like please send them our way. We can help facilitate that. We're really for the like crypto native donor. So a giving circle that is using traditional fiat US dollars probably isn't the best fit for endowment, yet happy to, I love the concept of giving circles. It's something that I care a lot about. And this whole democratization of philanthropy and the power of the collective and showing that everybody, if everybody gave a hundred dollars, like, I think this model of, you don't have to be a millionaire or a billionaire to make an impact and to make a difference. And I think the more we can showcase some of these, like, um, Smaller donations, but the power of the collective really adds up. And I think just highlighting that is really important. So Alexis, last question here. I'm picking up what you're throwing out. If I'm listening, I'm like, okay, Alexis, I I don't know about crypto. I don't know about DAOs and all of this, but I'm crypto curious. Where can I begin? Because it can be very overwhelming, especially when you throw in all of the acronyms. Think about the different platforms. There's Reddit, there's Twitter, there's Discord. I mean where do I start? There's a lot. There's a lot. Uh, I would say start with whatever you're curious about, right? This world of crypto is large and overwhelming, right? There's cryptocurrency as a digital currency. There's NFTs. There's blockchain technology, which is basically the tech that underpins all of this. There's DAOs and governance. There's a lot going on in the space. I would say 
find one fit again, my personal advice, this is what I did when I started in the space, like find one thing that you're interested in, right? Like start small because it, it is very overwhelming. So if you're really interested in NFTs, like great, start reading about it, Google things, look on Twitter. There's actual like NFT platforms. If you want to like see what an NFT looks like, right? Like OpenSea is one of the largest NFT marketplaces where people will post their NFTs. If you want to see what they look like and like see different artists, they have sections on their website of like upcoming mints, which are like upcoming projects, start diving in. And I think it's hard because there's a lot of noise out there. And sometimes like you don't know what is legit and what's not. There's, I started reading articles. There's like Cointelegraph is an example or Coindesk. Like there are these platforms that exist where there's articles written, even like I was just reading an article in Forbes the other day about crypto. Like some of these large entities are writing about crypto. There's a really interesting Wall Street Journal article. I'm happy to share it in the chat if it's helpful, talking about the centralization of FTX, what I was alluding to earlier. So I would just say, start reading articles, go on social media and find something specifically in the crypto space that interests you and just try to do a lot of research and learn about that. And then one thing will lead to another, they call it the crypto rabbit hole, where it's like one thing leads to another thing, which leads to another thing. And then you're on Twitter for five hours and like your day is gone. But I think that is a helpful mindset and you just have to start somewhere and one thing will lead to another for sure. That sounds great. And then just one takeaway that I want everyone listening to this to hear, go claim your nonprofit on endowment. There's no reason not to. So that's one yes. easy step Thank that you, you can take. So we'll make sure to put all of the information in the show notes, endowment, all of the resources you've shared with us. Thank you so much. And is it okay if folks connect with you via LinkedIn to ask questions? For sure. Connect with me on LinkedIn. My email is alexis at endowment, spelled E-N-D-A-O-M-E-N-T, DAO, um, dot org. So feel free to reach out. Yeah, LinkedIn, email, go to our website, endowment.org. And we are happy to talk to any nonprofits who, again, are crypto curious, get claimed with us. It's completely free. You give us your bank account information. And once a nonprofit is onboarded with us, we send you a donate button to put on your website. We send you marketing materials to spread the word to your donor base. It's something we didn't really touch on earlier, but we find that nonprofits who start spreading the word to their existing donor base, they have people who are coming out of the woodworks like, oh, I have crypto. I, I never thought to donate crypto or I didn't know you, we were set up to receive crypto donations. So we're happy to help with any language to spread the word to your donor base. But we find that really starting within your own donor base, you'll likely see people who are excited about this. Yeah, for sure. And actually, we had Pat Duffy on a little while ago, the giving block. And his point was people who are into crypto are really into crypto. So They're if you really start coming crypto, that's really true. into crypto. So if you have a strategy, even if it's like you're putting out a series of tweets or communications that are directed at crypto donors, like people who are into it are super into it. <laughs> yes, that, that is very true. Alexis, thank you so much. This has been super informative. I appreciate your time. I know thank folks you. found this very informative. So go forth and get into, I love crypto curious. Get crypto curious, everyone. Thank you. Take care.
Hi, if you're a friend of Nonprofit Lowdown, you might be interested in my weekly free newsletter where I send out weekly inspiration for fundraising, notices about any upcoming events that I'm doing, and a cute dog picture. So check it out at riawong.com, R-H-E-A-W-O-N-G.com. Thank you.